The Real Estate Unsuccess Stories podcast features people from the real estate community sharing real stories about their struggles, pains, and even losses during their own real estate journey. We share these real experiences so you can learn from them and build a successful journey of your own. Now, here's your host, Cody Lewis, one of the managing partners at Vindu Capital, located in Charleston, South Carolina. Hello and welcome back to the show, everyone. We're so excited to have you. And let me tell you, I'm even more excited to have our guest on today. He is the owner and COO of Obsidian Capital, Mr. Mike Woodfield. Mike, thanks for joining us today. How are you, sir? Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. No, I appreciate you jumping on board. And uh, I know this is an audio podcast, but for those that are playing along at home, Mike's got a beautiful new office that they just moved into. So we're, we were kind of talking about that a little bit. And I'm super jealous of these beautiful windows he's got with him. But Mike, for those that may be hearing your name and voice for the first time, hopefully not. But if they are, would love to get your origin story of you know kind of where you're from, how you got into real estate and what kind of real estate you find yourself in these days. Sure. Sure. I was born and raised in Northern Utah. Went to college at Utah State University and immediately took a job out in Atlanta, Georgia, where I worked with a group out of Chicago, buying failing companies and flipping them like a three to five year hold. So very similar to like a value add apartment syndication, but their own money, kind of a family office situation. And and uh, it was just focused on business. They'd go find owners that drove businesses in the ground and there's no reason for it to fail other than they were not good at business and had some success there. Met my business partner currently, his name is Glenn Gonzalez. And I met him about a decade ago. And he called me, I don't know, seven, eight years ago and said, Hey, I'm buying a lot of apartments. He formerly was 25 years working the operations side of the business. He went from a maintenance man all the way up through the ranks to a regional manager, to a VP of operations, to CEO of a property management company. And he did a lot of asset management. And he's like, you know, I had to start buying these things myself. So as he started buying them, he wanted somebody that he could bring in as a partner and eventually have them learn everything he had learned. And so we came up with a game plan and that game plan was a five-year game plan. And it turned into a shorter timeline of becoming his partner, but we've been working with each other for about seven years now. And I've personally touched about a half a billion in multifamily, whether through asset management and now through ownership, I've, I've owned up, upwards of 1500 units. Right now at Obsidian Capital, we have about 550 units under development, ground up, and uh, we have a thousand under ownership, thousand units under ownership in our portfolio. We've been net sellers the past three to four years. We had upwards of 5,500 units at one point in the portfolio. And we're just building back up from 2018, 2019 when we offloaded a lot of properties. So, anyway, that's a little bit about me. I focus on operations side of the business a lot. I spent a lot of time working with our director of acquisitions, Nico, looking at deals and seeing how we can make them work, raising money and uh, making sure these deals are done and perf we perform based off of what we said we would perform. So that's basically my role. <laughs> cool. I love it. Listen, we I, we love origin stories. Everyone brings a unique background and, and aspects when they get into real estate. So I love hearing that. And I know our folks at home that may be thinking about 
whether it's passively or actively getting into real estate, that hopefully they're taking away that you can have a plethora of different backgrounds. It doesn't necessarily have to come directly from real estate to be able to jump in. So right. Mike, I know before we hit record, we were talking a little bit and, and getting to know each other a little bit better. And you said, you know, that it, it's not been always the smoothest ride for some of the real estate career. So I wanted to explore some of those today, some of the challenges and struggles that you've had and how you overcame them or what you took away from them that you wish you maybe could have done a little bit differently in the moment. Sure. You know, there's a lot of lessons learned and you, and you know this as well as I do. I mean, this is the foundation of your podcast, but usually those lessons are learned in the hard, difficult moments. And if you have real estate and you're asset managing it yourself, I mean, those hard, difficult moments are frequent often. You know, likely if you bought the property right and you paid a good price for it, you're able to ride those hard times a bit easier than if you overpaid and maybe didn't execute the business plan that well. And there were some properties that we bought south of Houston, about 400 units. And at the time, we didn't overpay. We paid fair market value from, but it was chemical-backed economy. And what happened was is that those chemical plants started laying people off and massive layoffs and droves. What happened was our occupancy went from 100%, dropped all the way down to 80% and 75%. And it was just hard, hard times. You know, it was a fist fight with all other property owners to try and get tenants in, lowered rents, lowered rents. And it was stressful. It was very stressful because at the end of the day, no matter what I did or how good I was or how smart I was, I could not figure out how to get these things above 80% occupancy. So we're covering our debt service and barely covering our bills, having to put money into the properties. But it was such a stressful time with those properties. And, you know, it distracted me from buying more properties. It distracted me from my other properties. And maybe they suffered a little bit because I was so focused on these big issues, you know, and (laughs) it just kind of became a nightmare, honestly. When you have that much stress on a property too, it's it's common that staff turns over because there's so much pressure on them. You know, I learned a lot about working with staff and with the folks on site through that process and what metrics to watch when you're reviewing a failing asset and how to make sure that it doesn't go further into the hole. Because once that death spiral starts happening, it can be quick and accelerate. So that was one instance where things just didn't go right. We had a business plan. I told Glenn, I'm like, it's like we fell out of the tree and hit every branch on the way down. Like no matter what we did, it was just every little thing. Like we couldn't get anything right. You know, the renovations company that we used, they installed like, for example, the wrong cabinets. And then, you know, it was four hours away. So I went down every two weeks and by the time I got down there, I'd already installed five or six sets, you know, and it was just like little things like that stacked up over time, you know, I could go on and on about these two properties and I'm glad that I don't have to deal with them anymore. They're gone. But some of the learning lessons, I don't know if that, is that okay if I go into some of those? Yeah, learning yeah lessons. we would love that. I learned that in the beginning of those properties, I probably just didn't have the detail and I probably didn't give the instruction I needed to give to the property management company at the end of the day. Out of that, out of that burnt down house, let's call it out of the ashes. I learned that I needed to create a very detailed asset management plan or a a business plan. 
And I now have a very detailed asset management plan for every one of our properties. So in that asset management plan, I have underwritten rents, what we expect to execute on, the timeline in which we expect to increase our NOI to a certain amount. I have down to the hardware that we put on the cabinets when we're renovating a product, what we're going to use. That way, the property manager, when she sees it, she's like, that's not what we had planned to do, right? What paint color we're going to use. I have a Gantt chart in in the order of how many units we're going to give each month to the renovation company, a Gantt chart that shows when we're going to paint the exterior, when we're going to tree trim, all these things. And then at the very bottom of it, I have a signature block where Glenn, myself, the property manager, the regional manager, the construction company, whether it's us or somebody else, we all sign it. And whenever I go to visit the property, I refer to the asset management plan. You know, they ask me, we decided to, we want to go with white countertops instead of black countertops. I always say, well, what does the asset management plan say? Well, it says white countertops. Well, we all need to agree as a group, all the signers of that contract need to go back and agree that we're going to go to black instead of white. And that way there's accountability across the board, right? Mm-hmm. So anyways, I present that asset management plan the day we take over the property and I set accountability up right away. I define roles right away. And then when I go visit, that's what I go back to. I go back sure. to that management plan and see if we're executing that. So that's developed because of this hard experience I had where I'm like, man, I, if I would have front loaded the work and made sure that everybody knew what they were doing, I probably would have had a, a bit smoother ride down the road. Right. You wouldn't have hit every branch, maybe still a few of them, but not every branch on the way to. Well, no, no plan's perfect. Right. right and right. sometimes those asset management plans do change. My philosophy now is that we stick with the plan no matter what until we all sign and say otherwise. Other than that, we're sticking with the plan. So that's kind of the philosophy that came from that. Sure. But anyways, that that was one experience that, you know, I, I call it the man maker because those things, I'm convinced that everybody in business, whether it's real estate or anything else, tech, something, something else, everybody has to go through that really just like hard time where you have to gut it out. You don't run away. You face it. You go through it. And I promise you, you'll look around you and there'll be people that they run away from it. They're like, I'm not dealing with that. Not my problem. But if you're the guy or gal that's like, listen, I'm here. I'm going to deal with this and see this through. I mean, on the other side, there's such a stronger, better businessman or woman that, I mean, has a lot more experience than the person that didn't decide to stick it out. So, Well, and I'm sure you see, too, the other side of that, which is people who have never gone through that and never experienced it. And you can tell as they're going about their business plans and processes, you can probably see gaps or holes in in what they're doing and pitfalls that may come their way. And maybe they don't, but you could see that if one thing starts to slip, you can see from an outsider's perspective looking in like, oh man, if this one thing goes wrong, it's a house of cards for them. So they they haven't had that hardship to learn from and to grit, get through it, like you were saying, and and grind out that process. Yeah, absolutely. And, And like I said, a lot of this stuff, I mean, you can listen to podcasts like yours and learn from others' experience. And I, my favorite quote of all time is that a smart man learns from his own mistakes and a wise man learns from others, you know, and 
I truly believe that you can be wise and you can learn from others' mistakes and take my advice, form an asset management plan, set roles clearly. But to some degree in this business, I found that every time a hard time comes up like this or something happens like this, I learn and it, the scars are left, you know, and, and I don't forget those the next go around. Ultimately, if I was to boil down to the, the lesson there is don't overpay in a tertiary market. You know, be careful about how much you pay per door or whatever real estate you're buying in a tertiary market. Because, I mean, the reason why it's tertiary is because it relies on one or two factors for the economy, right? Well, if there's a downturn, then the whole economy and that ecosystem fails. So you really are, I mean, you, you buy on a higher cap rate, there's the inherent risk there, right? So an older Mike would tell younger Mike, you know, just don't overpay in a tertiary market. <laughs> I love that. And, and I think that's incredibly valuable because I think, especially in these this day and age where, where prices are at, and you know, if you're not where you guys are at or some of the other big players in the market, you can't maybe afford or have the knowledge or, or the background to jump into some of these primary markets. Yeah, You have to start looking at secondary and tertiary markets to find deals. And there are deals to be had. But to right. your point... Don't overpay for something in those markets where one or two small changes in the makeup of the industries and the jobs and the growth there will radically shift mm -hmm. potential occupancy and trajectory for the property. So I, I think that's spot on, Mike. That's probably as good enough spot as ever really to wrap up on that note and kind of th that golden nugget of knowledge for folks. Mike, I, I want to thank you for jumping on board with us and, and chatting with us and the audience and providing the lessons. For those that maybe want to work with you, learn from you, even invest with you, where's the best place folks can find you at? Sure. You can go to our website. It's obsidiancapitalcoco.com. There's an investor tab that you can click on and you can sign up and you'll get all of our offerings and you know we can chat from there. Or you can just email me, uh, mike at obsidiancapitalco.com. I'd love to chat with anybody that's getting into syndication or multifamily, all the other real estate I have a baseline knowledge of, but you probably could teach me more than I could teach you on that stuff. So I would love to chat anytime with anybody about real estate. It's my passion. I love doing it and would be happy to help where I can. Perfect. Well, Mike, thank you so much again for joining us this morning. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. Absolutely. And everyone at home, thanks for listening. We'll catch everyone next time. You've been listening to the Real Estate Unsuccess Stories podcast with Cody Lewis. Be sure to subscribe today on your favorite podcasting platform so you can catch every episode of the Real Estate Unsuccess Stories podcast.